When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by the Sunday Mail Scott McDermott and a very special guest in the form of treble winning Rangers legend Gordon Smith. On the pod today, we preview Rangers clash with Dundee as former favourite Neil McCann arrives in town desperate for a result that could kickstart his season. We look at Mark Allen's role in the Gerrard revolution and ask if all big clubs need a director of football. And we look back on Gordon's amazing career, which has seen him go from player, to coach, to pundit, to agent, to director of football, and even the chief executive of the SFA. Gordon, it's been quite a journey. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It was good. I mean, what was interesting about it was just the fact it was, I I got good experience in a lot of different areas within the game. So that's, has helped my knowledge and probably my, my opinion as well on the game, just because I've, I've experienced a lot of different things. Well, we hope to see that today. Um, a lot has been written about Steven Gerrard and his, his start to being Rangers manager. How do you assess where Rangers are at the moment, Gordon, and the improvement, if any, that has taken place? Oh, I think there's definitely been improvement. I thought it was an excellent appointment. I don't think I could uh, have anything negative to say about it. A lot of people were saying, oh, he's never managed before. Someone, ha- Every manager has to start somewhere, and some people start and, and they're good right away. You know, like Jose Mourinho started at Porto and uh, won a, a, a UEFA Cup, or as it was called, champ- I, don't think, I don't know if it was called the Europa League in those days, but UEFA Cup and then the Champions League. So that was his start in the game. So I don't think there's anything wrong. Steven Gerrard has played at a high level. My understanding of him is he's a strong character. I think it's still work in progress to a degree because he's had to bring in a whole range of players. Uh, not all of them have been available all the time and he's had to play uh, in a style to, to try and fit in the Scottish game. And I think that uh, everything was going really well and until the last, maybe the last couple of games in the league haven't been that good because the Motherwell game was a good example of, of Rangers were uh, get bullied a little bit in that game. A little bit the strength of, of Motherwell was something Rangers didn't cope that well with. And in the Celtic game, I felt that, you know, that, that was a match where he was coming up against the best opposition and it just didn't work out in the way that he might have wanted because Rangers were under a fair bit of pressure in that game. Celtic were the better team. And maybe he'll look at it again and maybe change his tactics and change his team if they want to play Celtic again. Just on that, Gordon, because you're the only one in this room that's been a professional footballer, um, despite me and Scott having immense talent, as you can, I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> Rangers had a huge journey, 8,000 miles back uh, yeah. to and back from Russia, 48 hours prior to the game, I think it was 52, something like that. Um, yeah. How, is that reasonable as an excuse or as a, as a reason why they might have stood off a little bit and not had that high press? I think I think yeah right it's right John it can be it can be a factor there's no doubt about it I mean all that travel um, sometimes players don't get proper sleep and and recovery there's no doubt about that that can be a factor so that has to be taken into account when when people consider how Rangers played maybe they decide to go for a style of play that day which was actually taking that into account it was like oh sitting back maybe catching Celtic in the break but it didn't work out Celtic controlled the game that day. And the only thing was, I think because Rangers were sitting quite far back, that was maybe one of the reasons why Celtic didn't get as many clear-cut chances as they had. They had a few efforts, I mean, they hit the woodwork two or three times, but they didn't get a lot of clear-cut chances, but they, they controlled the game, and Rangers created very little. Scott, how do you feel Stephen Gerrard will look back over the season with a couple of weeks to have a think about how things have gone and reflect? I think in general he'll be pleased, Johnny, in terms of Gordon touched on it, so many new players coming in, you know, a big revamp of the, of the playing staff and the coaching staff I suppose um, when he looks over it as a whole I think he'll be he'll be generally pleased but I mean it has been a bit of a a bit of a kind of bizarre start to the season if you like just because I think you know, when, when most supporters looked at those first four games in the Premiership you know, with the three tough the three tough away ones I think most fans would have said you know, we need to get off to a 
know, a, a flying start here. He's got to pick up you know, a lot of points in those games. That hasn't happened, and I suppose for that point of view, league-wise, it's it's been a it's been a poor start. But there's been circumstances with the red cards, and most notably the European run, and that's the that's the flip side of it. As much as punters would have been wanting a flying start to the league, no one could have predicted the the Europa League run. I mean, if you'd assess the most. Um, as I say, most supporters are starting in the first qualifying round. What are the chances of getting to the group stage of the Europa League? I think they would have pretty much written it off. You know, the way Rangers were last season, the European result they had last season, and with that turnover of players, um, as well as Steven Gerrard coming in as a, as a new manager. So you have to kind of weigh that up. It's been a remarkable achievement getting to the group stage of the Europa League. Uh, really unexpected, but obviously that's you know, that's tempered slightly with, with, with dropping some points in the league. One of the things, Gordon, that we've seen change in European football is how sides like Ufa, like um, Skupi, like Osijek are viewed. Back in your day as a player, these, these sides would have probably been seen as easy meat for a Scottish side, yeah. but but now it's been proven to be a lot more difficult. But how do you associate, how do you um, assess how Rangers have performed in Europe specifically and how big an achievement has that been for Steven Gerrard? I, th- I think it was certainly an achievement. Scott said, uh, you know, to, to go through four rounds to get to where they are. I mean, I think they're the first Scottish team has ever done that, yeah. actually. So that's a, that's a major achievement, especially when you come in, a new team, you're playing against teams. And, and regardless of whether people think Ufa, because they're not a well-known team, uh, are, are quality or not quality. The main factor is they're playing in a quality league. They're playing the Russian top league and, and any team which plays in there has to be able to survive against the very best. So I think that, that was I think the results were excellent in Europe. And maybe the, the, the their eye was taken a little bit off the league fixtures initially because I think Steven Gerrard had had he, I think his ambition probably when he came in at first was and one of his goals was to get Rangers into that level of Europe. Now that's been achieved and they've got these games coming up. They're in a hard group, there's no doubt about it. They've got Villarreal coming up uh, next week. But the main factor is that um, they've got other league games. They've got Villarreal, but then they've got three league games. And I think that looking at the three league games, Johnny, that the Rangers fans will expect to to get points, take full points for the next three league games because they've, they've actually got Dundee, then they play St. Johnson and then Livingston. Yeah. So I think that in, in look, looking at those three games, because the, next, the, the following game after that is Hearts, who are in really top form at the moment. So the Rangers fans will want to have nine points in the bag Despite the fact that they've got the European games, a bit of the excitement of that, they want to get the catch up in the league and be begin to challenge again. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that this next chunk of games before the next international break is going to be crucial for Gerard and Rangers. I think four at the next five are at home. I think there's a I think the League Cup quarterfinal against there is in there as well. That gets you a semi final at Hamden, which is another positive step. So I think, no, despite dropping those points, as I say, with the, the circumstances, the red cards and, and late goals, um, despite all that, I think Stephen Gerrard will be looking at this next this next batch of games. And as Gordon says, I think no, he'll definitely be looking for for at least nine points for those for those three home games. Well, let's have a little chat about the Dundee game coming up on Saturday. A number of interesting narratives we can go into. Neil McCann is a boss, struggling a little bit. And Kenny Miller's return to Ibrox. Now, Gordon, you were his agent at one point, yeah. so you're probably well pleased to, to comment on <laughs> yeah. Kenny and his, his mentality. <clears throat> Strikes me as this is the kind of game he'll just really, really look forward to and probably do well in. Well, it has something. He's got the type of mentality, Kenny Miller. He's always been strong, even from, from being a kid. You know, I remember when I, when I was his agent and, and Rangers came in, I said to him, you know, do you want to go? Because you might go there. It was under Dick Avocat. You might go and not be a regular player. And he's like, no, I want to go there. I, want, I think I can make it. So he's, he's a strong character. And to be still playing at his age, as fit as he still is, is tremendous, you know. And, and it was a shame how it all finished for him at Rangers, you know. So he's, there's more to come out on that, obviously. He's even said that himself. But there's no doubt about it, come uh, Saturday, he'll be very keen to do well for Dundee. Dundee are on a bad run. Neil, Neil McCann is, is definitely somebody that knows the game very well. But things aren't working out very well for him at the moment. They're sitting there, no points, bottom of the league. He needs to get his team going too. And you'll be an ex-Rangers man too. He'll come down there... But the thing about it is, if you've got the right mentality in football, regardless, I mean, when I was playing for Kilmarnock, I was a Rangers fan, but it didn't stop me uh, trying to beat Rangers. You want to, you want to do your best because it's it's down to your personal, like you know, your attributes of what you want to do. Makes you more likely to get a move to Rangers, as as you saw. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> <It> helped. <laughs> um, 
There's question marks about Neil McCann's temperament at the moment. We've obviously yeah. seen Cocker leave, who was... Uh, I know he had ups and downs, but was a, a class act to get to Dundee on a huge wage, a big-name player. Do you think he's got the temperament for management, Scott? That's a big question, Johnny. I think... I don't think we quite know that yet. And I, I, no, it's undeniable that you know, Neil McCann's fallen out with a couple of big players at Dundee. Scott Bain being the, the first one, who's obviously ended up at Celtic. Uh, via Hibs, he was a, a top keeper for Dundee, one of their best players. There's not many players that go from Dundee to, to Celtic, is there? Yeah. Um, via a loan spell, it's exactly. bizarre. Um, but Bain was always a, a good keeper and one of Dundee's top players, everyone knew that. Um, him and Neil McCann clearly had a, a spat after one of the games. And when that happens, I suppose there's always, well, there's only going to be one winner and that's the, that's the manager. And I think similar has happened with, with Stephen Colker. Um, I'm pretty certain, though, there was there was a problem in pre-season, a pre-season trip to, I think it was Portugal they were in. I think Stephen Colker uh, has obviously got himself into a bit of bother. And, no, Neil McCann wasn't happy, quite rightly so, but rather than try and, no, try and fix the problem, it's, it's, it's ended badly again in Colker's away. This is a guy who were led to believe no, Dundee knocked back a bid of a million pounds uh, last season for... So he's went, Craig Whiten's went as well, who I've seen a lot of with Scotland, really talented young player, speak to a lot of boys that play with him, they think he's one of the most one of the most talented in Scotland, he's obviously had problems with injury, but again, no, if you're a Dundee fan, you're probably looking at Whiten as being, in the next couple of years, somebody that was going to make a real, a real difference, and he's gone as well, so... Little known fact, Whiten was one of the lads that came through the Cathro, the Ian Cathro right. Academy with the two suitor boys and uh, Ryan Gold. Honestly, you speak to, I know a lot of boys that played with Whiten at, at Dundee and watched him coming through the coming through the ranks, and no, they, they, they talk about this kid as being a, no, a, a magician with the, with the ball at his feet, so... As I say, he got a bad injury last last year, and that's maybe maybe held him back. He's got a great move out of it going to Hearts. Uh, Dundee have obviously got a bit of cash, and they've used that, no rightly or wrongly, to get and get Kenny Miller on a on a two year deal. Um, and as far as Miller and the game goes, you're right, Miller, no Kenny will, will relish going to Ibrooks and no showing people again what he can do, even at even at his age. But for Dundee's point of view, it's just a case of whether they can get get the ball to him, whether they can create chances for him, because as, as Gordon says, they're on a, on a bad run, it's been a, a poor start to the season, and no, they probably don't want to be going to Ibrox to try and, try and turn it round. It's a crucial signing though, Scott, because one of the things, I've seen Dundee two or three times, and even in the games I've seen, they've actually not been any worse than the opposition, yeah. the problem they've got is putting the ball in the net, yeah. they can't take their chances and they can't score. So, you know, he's got strikers there who were, were getting a bit of a reputation in previous seasons, but they're not doing anything. Yeah. And I think that's why he's he, he's going out and he's got Kenny Miller in because he knows what he's capable of. He knows he's a goal scorer. And I think, you know, he, Neil McCann will think Kenny Miller can turn this season around for them because they say that they're not a bad side at the moment. They just cannot put the ball in the net. The other boy that's always impressed me is Glenn Kamara. I don't know if he's yeah. one that stood out to you guys. Yes. He he's has, he's uh, a very good player. Yeah, I like Finnish him. international. Yeah, he's a good player. He, he, I think that uh, you know he's he's one of the ones that the key players that stood out for me in games. One or two players haven't been doing it, but as I say, even in the games I've seen, they've not been any worse than the opposition. Kamara's usually been very good, but the, as I say, they're getting the chances that have come along, missed chance after chance, and you can see Neil McCann's face at times in, in that touchline. He's getting very frustrated, and maybe that's one of the reasons why he's had problems with some of his players because yeah. he maybe gets a bit angry at times in terms of the level of performance. Is that difficult, Gordon? If you've been a good player at a high level and becoming a manager, you know, it was talked about with Steven Gerrard because you're watching players play on the pitch and they can't do things that you could do. I mean, Neil McCann was a terrific player yes. te technically and he might be at Dundee looking at these boys on the pitch and just getting frustrated for that very reason. Uh -huh. It was never really... Well, when I was coaching and I was assistant manager at St Man, it was never really players' ability that that angered me as such at times. It was mainly maybe their attitude yeah. and the amount of work they were putting in. Those kind of things when you think you can do more than what you're actually showing today, you're not giving your all or whatever. That was the things that angered me. There's some of the players 
were, were basically, even though they were quite talented, were, had made bad decisions a lot of the times, did the wrong things. But in general, it was down to uh, the only thing that really made me angry was if they weren't, if their if their attitude wasn't hundred percent. That that was the thing that annoyed me because I, I believe that every player should be up for it all the time and give his all. It's a it's a difficult balance to strike because I agree with Gordon. I think Neil McCann's frustrations. Well, no, nine times out of ten, be about players' attitude, commitment, no mentality, winning mentality. You know that he that he obviously had at Rangers during that spell. He played in the Premier League as well, so you know, the guys get really high standards, and that will be that will be tough. But at, at a club like Dundee, other provincial clubs, it's difficult to get that balance because you need to you need to keep a tight ship. You need to keep a happy camp. You no, know, you want your best players playing well. And that's clearly been a been an issue for Dundee in the last the last six months. Um, predictions, Gordon. What do you think? I think Rangers will win this game. I think that like, having had the break as well, now with the, the, the players, you know, very few of them were involved. I think at all during that little spell there. So I think that you know you might have one or two over injuries. I think Rangers will win this game. I think it'll be I think two, three, one. Yeah, you've got some players coming back from international duty. Someone like uh, Borna Barisic will must be coming back full of confidence. Yeah, he certainly played the full game. The yeah. first game he didn't play in the, the defeat to Spain. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll come back confident. Um, we don't know yet whether Koulibaly is back from injury, but there's been... I think he's been missed, Scott. Yeah, Koulibaly, definitely. definitely. He's been out for a while. And yeah. I think the last game he played was actually the St Mirren game. Yeah. So they've missed him because he, yeah. was, he was looking at a very, very strong player. Yeah. And there's been pictures of Gresda training as well. Obviously, he didn't he didn't uh, go with Albania at the international break. I just wonder whether that's been at Rangers' request to try and get him in and get him get him fit uh, so that he's ready to go after the international break. So I agree with Gordon. I think Rangers coming back after the you no know, after a much needed break for some of their players will be will be ready to go and at home. No, in front of Phil Ibrooks, I expect him to win by, by a couple of goals at least. Gordon, you spent some of your career out in the left wing, and the yeah. wing area seems to be the one part of Rangers that hasn't really fully set fire and started functioning properly. I would say in that sort of final third, final ball type scenario. Yeah, I think I think it's been been hard for him to to really get that developed in, because you know Murphy's obviously injured yeah. now, but even even as a, a left winger, Murphy for me was tending to cut in most of the time. He wasn't really and. In, in, as I say, Flanagan was doing the very same when he was playing on the left side. You know, maybe that's why you know that you Jarry playing there midfield, he can burst forward into wide areas too because that that's what he offers. But I think that uh, from that point of view, I think that you know Rangers need to get the the team right. I don't know whether I would go with two strikers either. I don't, I don't think that that really worked against Celtic. It might work against other levels of opposition, but I think that at times Lafferty could play as a wide player. So you could you could play like a four three three with one striker and then two wide. So you play it like that, and I think that maybe Lafferty could fall into that position. Yeah, I mean, four three three is largely what Steven Gerrard's done so far. But I, I agree with you, John. I think that left side is something that hasn't quite clicked, and and I think the issue has been as much as John Flanagan's a terrific defender. And there are certain games you would want to use him at left back. I mean, he played in the Premier League with Liverpool at left back for a, you no, know, for that great season under Brendan Rodgers. But he's not then the overlapping fullback who's going to fly up beyond his his winger and get crosses in with his left foot. He's, he tends more to cut back on his right. That slows everything down. So obviously Barisic has come in, and I can see them, you no, know, alternating effectively. Like for instance, a home game against Dundee. I'd be more tempted to go with Barisic, where he can work with whoever's playing on the left side, and he's obviously renowned for for fizzing balls in with his, with his left foot. Whereas maybe away from home, the tougher games where you're kind of going to be up against it a bit more, then you would look at Flanagan's defensive capabilities. Yeah. The, the other options are, are young Middleton as well yeah. to play there, you know, because he's got a bit of pace and yeah. all that thing. He's inexperienced. That's the only thing about him. So he and Kent has played there too. Yeah. But uh, he's can be left sided as well. But so they're 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 the two options if you're going to play it like a four four two type of uh, 
I would say system. But the thing is, it's, it's you're right in saying it's not really it's not really worked so far. Middleton, Middleton's a bit of a throwback, isn't he, Gordon? He's very very direct. He just goes for the byline. And, and modern wingers, you, you tend to see cutting inside more and becoming yeah. a sort of inverted playmaker inside left type role. Uh-huh. I think I think as a, a winger, I think you got your you got your both. Yeah. I think that the key aspect of it is that if you're always just going to play that runs wide. The teams will latch onto that and they'll just force you inside all the time because yeah. they know you don't want to get inside. So the the best players playing in, in those sort of positions uh, are basically can go either way. So the, the defender never knows whether they're going to cut inside yeah. or go wide. The problem with Murphy was the fact he was cutting inside most of the time, and, and teams knew that. And Middleton's going wide, so a mix of the both would be ideal. I, th- I think Gerard will be working with Middleton at getting that other side his game. The, the what you're talking about, you no, know, just driving at people with his pace and getting to the byline. As much as I think Middleton's a good player and he's he's done well when he's come on, it's and I think Gordon will agree. It's easier coming on as an impact sub, and you just immediately get to the byline when there's when you've only got ten minutes left. To people play, are tired as well. People are tired. Yeah. Fullbacks tired. It looks great and the fans love it. And I'm not I'm not criticising it, but. If Middleton's going to start games playing 90 minutes up against a fullback, then he is going to need to vary his, vary his game. And listen, I'm not saying he's no... I think he's more than capable. No, when I've seen him, I think he does have the ability to, to change it up a bit. So I think that's what Gerard will be working on with him before he actually throws him into start games. OK, well, we're going to move on to a completely different subject now, which is uh, Mark Allen and the Rangers director of football. Gordon, it's a role that's little understood, um, I think, in Scotland, or certainly causes a bit of controversy. Now that Mark Allen's bedded in, he's had over a year now to get his feet under the door, 15 new players have come in, he's got in his manager this time, because obviously Pedro Cascina was appointed before he was appointed, and it's like yeah. a bizarre reversal of what you would expect. How do you assess the role and how he's performing so far? It's very hard to say, Johnny, I'll tell you why, because... I think the the, the 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 key aspect of it is it's a different remit at different clubs. It depends how the club have set it up. When uh, when I was in there as a director of football, I almost like set up uh, my own remit in terms of I I told I'd had a meeting with the club and said they should have somebody in doing this role. I didn't expect it to be me. Then they came back and asked me to do it, but I had set it up. And what really what I was looking to think was that someone in that role, basically you're you're involved in actually controlling the strategy of the club. And what that means is you're looking at all the different departments and what you're doing is you, you have a strategy for each department. So you set that uh, down in paper, what you're actually going to do, what you're going trying to achieve. And then the director of football is the person that oversees that and makes sure that it's, everything's happening as was expected, as, as de- detailed in the report to begin with. So you're looking at aspects like your the first team is very important. That's the main aspect of every club. My opinion on it was when I went in the job was that the the manager should always, no matter who uh, you know you're recommending, who scouts recommend, who, who even me as a director of football was were getting told about, the manager had first choice on it. He was always the one that made the decision because I felt that his job was at stake, and therefore you couldn't bring in players over his head. He had to be accepting of whoever came in. As a, as a player next thing you're looking at is, is how you're developing the, the players to come through For the, basically I think there should be reserve football I mean this is another big debate we should have I've been totally against the under 20s league uh, for quite some time really from the very start I don't think it's right because I think that young players should be playing alongside experienced players and against experienced players so I've, I've always been against that but that's an aspect of it too you're looking at the development you're looking at the youth development in terms of how the, the, the play, young players are coming through what the coaches are looking for are they giving the right sort of advice are you looking at players to develop them in order that they play a certain style of play in the first team and, and all these kind of things so you're, you're putting that strategy in place too you're looking at the scouting and, and recruitment now you're saying that Mark Arns there's 15 players come in I don't know how much he's been involved in that, probably quite a lot, but there is a scouting department too, and there has to be that, but the, but the, the director of football should be overseeing that and making sure that you're getting proper reports on players. You don't move for anybody unless you've already determined uh, certain aspects of it, about that player, do you know what I mean, in terms of whether he's got, um, you, you know, you need to even need to find out about his character off the field as well as what he's like on the field in terms of his ability and what he does. Then you're looking at the medical department and you're looking at uh, the player's welfare. What you're trying to see is making sure that every player uh, is living their life in the right in the correct manner. Not, nobody 
Is it up to things off the field that people don't know about and all that sort of thing? So they're the main aspects I, I felt of a director of football. I, I would ask yourselves what you think in terms of that. Well, uh, Mark Water once described it to me as being the spider in the web, which is my favourite quote for the director of football because <laughs> yeah. the guy that's you know in control of everything. I think that makes absolute sense. It seems to me that what you're talking about is having accountability for each different department within the football club. Yes. The director of football is directly responsible for that. What I would ask with with regards to that relationship that you then have with the manager, who then has obviously accountability for the football side of yes. um, the first team side of it, how do you manage that? Big egos involved, you know, it was yourself and Ali McCoist. Do you sit down and have three months reviews? How does that that yeah. process work? You sat you sat down with him and you discussed um, where he was going with things in terms of you didn't interfere in terms of like um, criticism of of tactics or any things like that. You just that's his job, and he and he stands or falls on that and loses his job if it's not going well. But what you're talking about in terms of saying the main aspect for the manager is to say uh, recruitment as well and you're saying to him you know if I find out players which I did I get recommended a few players who could come in and train with Rangers they were well known international players most of them but I always said to Ali McCoy this player can come and spend two or three days training with us for you to have a look at him so what he did then was he went and got which you can do now you can go and get videos and done of these players he looked at them and then he came back and said to me yes I'll have him in so that that's that's what happened. We, we brought in a few players who then came to the club and trialled out just, just to see if they were good enough for us. And that's 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 the, a, a main role that a director of football can have. But you're not interfering with the manager there. You're helping. And did that's, even, that's did even that cause a bit of consternation? It can cause. It a felt bit. like that from the outside looking it, in. It did. Some people were saying uh, it came out once. Somebody said in the radio once that oh Gordon Smith's bringing in players here that the manager doesn't want and, and so I don't know who was telling them that because I, that was not the case I, I went to every, I went to Ali McCoy with every player I was bringing in and said will I bring this player in what do you think and then gave him the name bit about him he went and checked him up and then came back and said no I don't want him or I do so it was ne- it was never down to me to bring MD in is that, is that different then Gordon I mean to Europe and even England in terms of the director of football role because like, my understanding of that role no, five to ten years ago when it, when it first started kind of coming in was that no, the director of football actually went and got players and just said to a head coach there's the players yes. you work with them and I think that still happens in England now maybe even at clubs like Southampton and, and others but I actually agree with you I think in Scotland uh, it probably uh, at clubs like Rangers and Celtic it actually has to be different it yeah. has to be the director of football recommending players certainly yeah. but the manager has to have the, the final say I agree it? with you there, there was a problem with it because I know when I get involved at Rangers um, and uh, you know I got on well with the guys but they, they weren't they didn't think that that position was required yeah. they didn't understand why I was being brought in but they didn't see the bigger picture of it which is basically every club should have a strategy regardless of what's happened at first team level there should be a strategy at the club right through so that everybody runs it now the chief exec can't do that at times because he's he's at, especially at Rangers. You, you, the chief exec was office was in Ibrox, and uh, the, all the footballs at Murray Park. He's also not a football expert. Correct. Chief exec's a business expert. Correct. That's exactly right. Somebody you need. I think you need somebody who's a football expert as well. But what you're saying, Scott, is absolutely right about the content because when I played abroad, when I went to Austria and then Switzerland, it was certainly the case when I went to um, both countries, both teams. I went to that I was brought in by what they call the manager over yeah, there. Right. Now, what happened? The guy, the guy takes the teams called the coach. Yeah. It's not manager and director of football, it's coach and manager abroad. Yeah. I was brought in by the manager, the coach, and, and I knew there was a bit of resentment f- from the guy at FC Basel when I came in because he, 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 didn't, he hadn't brought me in, he didn't want me in there, like you know, a, player, a foreign player coming in. And I, and I found that out later on. So that is the case abroad. Yeah. And it still is the case down in England quite a bit. Yeah. So there's, there's different ways of it. That's why... Mark Allen was was in at Man City. He wasn't director of football, but the thing about it is, in terms of how his experience of it might be, the fact that you know a manager should be bringing in players. But I don't think Steven Gerrard will accept that. No, I don't think he'll want that. He'll want to uh, make his own decision on who comes in, and I think that's the way it should be. The, the flip side, Johnny, is looking at, at Celtic. Where Brendan Rodgers runs the whole shooting match. I know he's got guys there like Lee Congerton, who's the no head of recruitment he'll have other people on that staff but there's an argument to say that 
no, he runs the football side of the club and Peter Lawwell runs the, the business side of the club and you can't argue with how it's worked there for the last for the last two seasons. No, but I suppose what we'd ask Gordon as a football man who's been inside the game is how does a guy like Brendan Rodgers have the time to have his finger in so many pies when a job like Celtic with the media element, with the coaching element, um, with the man management element, that would seem like a 40 hour a week, 50 hour a week job on, it, on its own with like yeah. adding all these extra elements into it. You're totally right, Johnny. It's a very busy th- job. That's why I think at the top level that you know there should be a director of football. Celtic don't have one as such, but maybe uh, I think Peter Law does get involved to an extent in that, but I think that um, from Celtic's point of view, you know, Brendan Rodgers could cope with that with someone who actually can say, yeah, here's, here's, here's these players, here's the reports on them, let, and let Brendan Rodgers know. But he, he'll, I think he's also somebody, Brendan Rodgers, who, who, who takes a big interest in the game too and knows about different players and what he's looking for. But what, what he should be doing ultimately is, is to identify each time, I need a good centre-half here, find me a good centre-half, and then the people involved they go and do it for him and then they come and recommend and then he has a look himself and he determines then who he signs but other people actually maybe do the job to find him the right player somebody who can fit in and, and play the system properly I, I believe that's the way that, that Rangers are uh, managing it now now yeah just on just I know it's a different era a different time I get all that but how do you think like a, a Jock Wallace or a Walter Smith would have reacted to a, a director of football come in would, would, looking yeah. back when they look back oh, Certainly, if Walter was to look back on it now, for instance, you think you would have quite appreciated somebody in there doing all that kind of stuff for him? I know you mean, dear, to take a bit of the work off yeah. him, I know. I think I think even at times, Willie Waddle was helping Jock Wallace at times yeah. in terms of doing a lot of the work, but I think the other aspect of it was in those days that the, the, the market was smaller, Scott, yeah, because of what course. you had, it was, a, it was a Scottish market for, for Rangers and, and Celtic. They weren't buying players yeah. from Eng- bringing players up from England. You look at, I was looking this year actually at recruitment in, in the Premier League and it was quite interesting because I was looking at most of the team, most of the players that were getting released were Scottish and most of the players that were coming up are coming into Scottish football were English or or Irish or whatever. Very few teams were signing Scottish players. It was unbelievable. It was the recruitment area was was a big concern for me to the degree because there was a lot of the teams were just bringing in loads of players from lower English leagues. And now you don't know how two things what the, how these players are going to cope playing in Scotland. Whether they're the right player, they're better than, than guys we're developing up here. So there was a little bit of that aspect to it as well. But as I say, I, I think that down the line. The, the director of football is there to help the manager and help the club and, and basically to help the structure of the club and the strategy of the club and that's the, his main role and his main remit. Just to go back on something you said earlier Gordon about um, bringing in players for the manager to then have a look at Yes. Um, one of the big stories at the time and I don't know, perhaps you've kind of already answered this when you said I don't know where this information was coming out from to the press, was of two Indian lads that you brought in. Yes. And um, I don't know, at the time it kind of felt like that was a, a slightly undermining story or there was an undermining element to the way it was delivered. Is that, uh-huh. is that, do, you, do you feel that, looking no, back I'll, on it? I'll tell you what that story was all about, basically. And it was, it was actually a financial aspect. We spoke to, we told Ali McCoyst, these two players were Indian international players. And what we were trying to do was build up the, basically the brand. We were trying to take the brand and no one... No Scottish teams were in India at the time, right? And, and it's a massive brand. The football's coming on great. So what we tried to do was to say, bring in these players. We said to uh, Ali McCoy, look, have, we'll bring them in and have a look at them, but it's the type of thing you don't need to even play them. It could be. The t- even, I even said one of the players, which is a well-known player in India, I said, even if he plays for, uh, we're winning 4-0 and you bring him on for the last 10 minutes in the game, it'll help build the brand. Rangers could... could like you know, become a big source out, out in India and all that. Just to, it was basically for money for the club, and that was a re- that was a real reason for it. They were, they were cheap in terms of the cost of the players, and they weren't big salary players. They were earning, they were going to be earning a lot less. But Ali McCoy he had the two of them in, just said he didn't fancy them and he had to go back. But it was not. I must be honest with you, and I admit it right now, it's not, it wasn't a football decision. It was a financial decision. So I think Celtic had done a similar thing with uh, Dewey, hadn't they? I mean, well, I suppose he played he played that uh, half, that Clyde, one half Clyde against game. Clyde, yeah, and yeah. then was never seen again. But <laughs> and listen, there is a there's an argument for that nowadays. The way you know, how foot, you know, how global football is, Celtic obviously get a you know, would they get a kickback for the Nakamura coming in, who was obviously top 
top class, top yeah. player. But no, Gordon's right. I think, especially clubs in Scotland, especially the old firm, no, with the the kind of uh, kind of global appeal that they've got, you do need to look at different ways to to market the club and brand the club. And if you can get interest you know, in, in these parts of the world, then it's it's certainly worth looking at. There's a lot been made about the way Rangers have been structured up until Mark Allen come in and, and yeah. the fact that there was a lot of work needing done, Gordon. I mean, I would imagine you saw that yourself back yeah. in 2011 when you you walked in the doors. Yeah. How, how do you think the role would have gone if, you know, the cataclysm that occurred hadn't? I know it's, uh, it's uh, wishful thinking and all the rest of it, but do you reflect back on that now and think what might have been? Oh, yeah, I do, because uh, as I say, I was only there six months because the, the whole thing... Um, and and you know I, obviously I, I spoke to to Craig White a couple of times and said, is there a possibility this club's going to get into administration? And he said, uh, I didn't speak to him very often, but he, in those two occasions I spoke to him, he said, no, 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 it, it depends on the big tax case. But administration happened before there was any result on the big tax case, so he didn't wasn't telling the absolute truth on that because what I was doing at that time was I was doing reports for him. On ter- in terms of how the club should be going forward, what the structure should be, because the, the initial part of my job was just basically a, an analysis thing, just to look at all the different departments, how they're being run, how, how things were coming on, do you know what I mean? And that was what I was doing. And I did reports from, and I, I and I said to him, what, what are we doing about this? Are we doing to change these things? And he's like, we'll get round to it, we'll get round to that. That's all he kept saying, but we never did. Is that frustrating for you in the sense that you know, through no fault of your own, you're probably kind of tarnished yeah. almost by that, that period in it terms was, of, yeah. if, if that had been a successful role for you which I've no doubt you, you could have made it then no, you could have went to other, other clubs and did that role you could have still been at Rangers yeah. now that, that must be a yeah, frustration absolutely not I saw, I saw it as a potential role that would for a while because I say because of all my experience in the game I thought I can bring a lot of elements to this because I've been a player at the club and as I say I've been, I've been in the coach management side agency side uh, you know, like the administrative side in the, in the game as well. Yeah. So I thought that I can offer a lot here and give, and that's that, that was basically why I thought I was brought in because I, I did, I did give my advice purely and simply to help the club going forward. I met Ali Russell and and Craig White and told them what, what I thought the club should do, and I, I, I didn't do it on the basis of getting the job. I did it on the basis of trying to help. Then they approached me and asked me if I would do it. So I decided to do it, but it was very frustrating. In a short period of time, I never got putting into place really any of the stuff I wanted to do. And I think that if I could have got the control that I wanted and and got my strategy in place, I think I could have helped the club at that time. But there was other factors which I didn't know was quite you know. And the financial element to it was was basically it was in the background, but it was, I never realised it was so serious. In terms of that day the day of administration. How did that go for you? I would imagine it would be a very emotional and traumatic day. How did that affect you and what happened that day? It was a big effect because I was totally shocked by it and it was a real blow because what happened was um, we were had a meeting and he was, it was, he was going to have a, a chat with the players, different levels of the players, and, and all of a sudden Craig White got called away uh, to make a phone call and we waited, where is he? And what happened was that was when he was informed that the, there was administration was happening and, and that was a, a major blow to, to everybody at the club, me especially, just thinking, where am I going to go here? And then I went to see the, the when the administrators came in, the the people who came in to... Um, Duff and Phelps. Duff and Phelps came in to enforce it all. They were in within about a week at the club and then I had a meeting with them. They said where it was going, what was happening and I just said, I said, well, there's no point in me being here anymore. I'm, I'm leaving. They said, well... You've got a contract. I said I don't even. I didn't even want any money at the time. I just said no. I'm out. I'm leaving, and I just left immediately because I just did not want to be there as a club went on because it was more or less. I could see the difficulties that were going to come, and my role was totally like un. It was just it was it was a waste of time. After that, so there was no point in me being there. But what did you make of White as a character? I mean, you're you're one of the few yeah. guys that would uh, get relatively close to him, had dealings with him. I mean, at first, did you buy into what he was, what he was saying, what he was doing? I think, Scott, I didn't meet him very often. I, yeah. I, I was, I was mainly talking to Ali Russell, who's the chief operating officer, and he was, he was a good guy to talk to, and he was the one that was speaking more to Craig White and and Ali McCoy. Stephen had more meetings with Craig yeah. White. I had very few with him, and only any ones I had, uh, Ali Russell was there. So I, I didn't speak to him very often. 
But I did get the impression that he was not um, a football guy. Yeah, I got that quite quickly, that he did not know the game. He was not a fan. And uh, it made me wonder, why, why is he doing this? Was, was there anything specific? Was it just the way he talked about the game? Yes. Just the way he just he didn't really talk much about it. He just... He never. Sometimes we ask some questions about it. But What's he, the offside rule? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, who does? Where does he play? No, he never. He never. He never knew much about the game at all. And it was obvious, obviously me quite quickly in terms of one of the meetings I had that he was. He, he was never a fan that watched the games and all that sort of thing. So there was no way that he was. T- t- he was taking the job forward as a fan of the club. D- does it bother you that some people might look back on it and think? No, Gordon Smith, or he was Craig White's man. Oh. As, I say, as I say, through no, absolutely no fault of your own. But I think people on the outside who don't know some of these aspects probably yeah. think, oh, Gordon Smith, oh no, he was he was Craig White's man. Oh, yeah, you get is, that from time to time. Yeah. You get, you, the odd person has said said to me, you know, you must have known what was going on there. Yeah. Uh, and I, was, I said, why? Because, oh, you were part of the whole setup. you were part of the management I wasn't I didn't mm. know any about it I mean some because I was a director of football some people actually assumed I was a director of the club as well <laughs> and I wasn't you know director of football is just a, a term <laughs> for a job it's not yeah. you're not a director so I had no idea what was going on as I say and if people do feel that way what can I do about it I just I, I, I'm comfortable with myself that I didn't know about it and that's the main thing is it'd be if I had been any part of it I'd feel worse but I wasn't well, we're going to move you on to happier times, um, <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about your your playing career with, with Rangers. And uh, I've been reading your autobiography over the last few days, um, which I think needs an update, Gordon. That's been ten years, and a lot's happened. Uh, so. A lot happens since then. Signing for Rangers, Gordon, it's a different time, and reading the book, it does take you back to a completely different footballing world. Can oh, yeah. you just talk a little bit about the fact you were part time, you had a job, how you learned that Rangers were interested? Yeah, well. I- the thing I'd, I'd I'd heard stories before that they were interested. Derek Johnson once told me on a Scotland trip, "Oh, Jock Wallace really likes you and all this," and I was like, "All right," but I never heard any more about it. And uh, I'd I'd stayed on it and, and done my degree, and then I'd got a job for a company called Edward McNeil Limited as a marketing man, marketing director manager, um, and I was only in the job ten days when the phone rang and it was Willie Fernley, the commander manager. And he said, "Where are you?" And I said, "Well, you should know where I am. I'm, uh, you've you've rung me." <laughs> and he said, "No." And he goes, "I got your number from the secretary." I said, "I'm at my work are you in Glasgow." I went, "Yeah." He goes, "You far from Ibrox?" I said, "No." Why? He said, "Just sold you to Rangers." I'll see. <laughs> I'll see you there in half an hour. And I went, "Okay." So I had to go and tell my bosses, "I've got to nip out for a little while. I've got to, uh, <laughs> I've got to go and speak to somebody there." Like, ah, "Okay, on you go." So I so went along. That's the best phone call you could ever get. Unbelievable! Yeah. I went yeah. along, Scott, and, and Jock Wallace. I mean, I, I didn't even see the terms. I just signed them. I, it was like what a thrill it was. And but the fact was that he, uh, when he shook my hand, he said, "That's taking a while. Welcome to the club. That's taking a while." And I went, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I've been trying to sign you for the last four years. Do you not know?" And I was like, "No." He says, "I've been in for you twice a year since the last four years." I was totally stunned by that. So that was me from the age of 18. And then but then I asked him, because I just signed the contract, I said to him, look, you've signed David Cooper. I was playing the left wing for Kilmarnock. You've signed David Cooper. I'll ask you now, why have you signed me? And he said, oh, I know you've been playing there. He goes, but first I saw you, you were playing midfield. He says, that's where you're going to be playing. You're going to be playing middle and midfield. He says, and he actually said a, a great terminology, which I, I'll never forget, where he said, you're the last piece of the jigsaw. That's what he actually said to me, and I was like, all right. So then that was me playing midfield alongside Bobby Russell, Ali McDonald. And we played a, we played an unusual system, really, Johnny, because a lot of people never really caught on to the fact. To this day, some people still think it was a 4-4-2 and I was up front with Derek Johnson. I wasn't. I was playing midfield. We, we played a, like a 4-5-1 or a 4-3-3 with McLean and Cooper wide, Derek Johnson in his own through the middle, and I was in the middle of the midfield. But I had to be the one that had to go and support Derek, run Frank from Lampard style. Yeah, yeah definitely. And that, see, nowadays it would be considered the number ten yeah, yeah. position. You know what I mean? Because like in those days they didn't have that terminology because it was a different type of position. Because I was not a tackler, I was not a ball winner in the midfield really, but I was I was the type of person that went and supported the front. It's interesting because that's a the way you're describing that. That's a modern day system. System. With the, two, with the two high wide players, yeah. Cooper and McLean. And then you've got that blend in midfield, you no know, McDonald being the, the grafter, yeah. for want a better expression, Bobby Russell was a playmaker, yeah. and you're the guy that's, that's Good support, support, supporting the Scott's the old tar- enough to remember all this. I know. I've only but seen it, the videos. You, you know, it is, that, that's what I'm saying. A lot, of people a lot of people never consider how advanced that was, yeah. because, as I say, that 
it was always a four four two and all that. And and what made it easier for me was the fact that it, because I was coming from there, I was getting I was harder to pick up because you were coming from a deeper position. So the centre halves were assu- assuming that a midfield player would get you, and the midfield players because you ran away and you were running forward there thinking well the centre halves will get them so a lot of times you were just making good runs that were just like what you were totally unmarked because you were coming from a very deep position and we had two really good passers in McLean and, and, and Cooper as well who could find you because I was, I was running beyond them a lot of the time for them to play me in you know what I mean did you did you have a, or did you immediately get a good understanding with, with Cooper on yeah. the pitch I mean I won't correct me if I'm wrong Having seen a lot of your goals, Cooper invariably seems to be involved either uh-huh. in assist or the build-up. Did, yeah. that, did that just click right no, away? You know, the strange thing was that uh, I caught on to it quite quickly that Coop, you had to let Coop get his wee touches in the ball first mm-hmm. before you made your run. <laughs> See, at times, like, if I made the run early, I didn't get it. I, so, But what I realised that Coop liked his touches... Now that was an that was a crucial part. Do you know why? Because we, see when he had his touches in the ball, he dragged people in close to him. But do you know what he had? He had fantastic vision. Yeah. So see if he then made your run, Coop could slot the ball through between about three players. He never had to shout for it. He just ran and he saw you. You know what I mean? So that 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 was what happened. It was yeah. I caught on to it quite quickly that the best way to play with David Cooper was to let him have his touch first. He also liked to bet Gordon. Coop did, yeah. <laughs> did you get that one in the in the book? <laughs> sure. He bet me. Uh, he bet on me. We came in after training one day. We had running, and he said, "He said, um, he said, don't get in this man's group. He's some runner." And the boys are saying, "Ah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't beat big Peter McCloy and all that." So I'm in the shower, and uh, the next thing they come in, says, "You got to get your gear back on." I went, "Why?" And he goes, "There's going to be a race. You have to raise big Peter out on the <laughs> on the track." And Coop had a lot of money on Coop. Had every day bet Coop that that uh, big Peter would beat me in the race. So. Uh, we went out on the track and went over the, the far side because we were doing a half lap race, 200 metres it would probably be considered now and uh, I, I beat Big Peter uh, quite well, I beat him quite well actually and uh, Coop was hugging me, he was like, I've never seen him um, so happy in my life because he was like, he'd made more than what his weekly wages were. <laughs> Did you get a wee slice? Not a bit, no. <laughs> Well, one of the things um, you, you, that comes across really strongly from the book is how warm you feel towards Jock Wallace. Ah. And it's interesting because I think for our generation, um, who maybe are a bit too young to remember him as a, as a figure, you see videos of him and he seems like a fearsome character. Yes. But there was more to his personality than that. Definitely. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I was a wee bit sort of scared because that was how you, the impression you got. So you're suddenly thinking, am I going to be able to cope with this manager because you know you don't know what people are like I just found him tremendous I mean I really did I think that uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves for it he was very his man management was really good and the two examples I can give of that actually is one uh, I was just at Rangers at first I was scoring goals right away right in the team the goals were going in for me and we're playing St Mirren one day at Love Street and at half time we're losing 1-0 and he was given a bit of a, a heated uh, speech at half time having a go at people and suddenly he grabbed me by the shirt and he pulled me out of my seat and he said see when I say we're not playing well I'm talking to everybody in the team and he put me back down and I realised then I must have been sitting with a face on just thinking <laughs> oh he's obviously not talking to me <laughs> so that was one aspect of it but the next one was uh, much, I don't know what maybe weeks later but we were playing Motherwell we'd beat Motherwell and I hadn't played well and I was sitting in the dressing room and I must have been sitting there with a bad face on because I had a bad poor game and he came up and he grabbed my shirt again and he pulled me forward and I thought I'm, I was getting around and he said see when you give me the effort you gave me the day you'll always be in this team and he put me back down now that was a great example of lifting me when I was down and the other one was you know it was a carrot and the stick thing he, he gave me a, 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 the, the stick when I needed it and that was the carrot that day and I thought for me that was a great sign of his management and he had me doing a lot of work on my upper body he said you know you said you're a great runner you can run that's what you're in the team for you've got ability but you need to build your upper body so he had me doing that and and basically that was a great help to me too what, what were team talks like under Wallace especially old firm games in, in particular well the most interesting one was the, uh, the my first old firm game was uh, after I wasn't there long about a month I think it was and uh, we down 2-0 at half time and he came in and he went sit down I thought we were going to get a real row and it was the most positive team talk I'd ever had in terms of a, a game when you're losing it was yeah. like he said I can't believe you're getting beat he said you've outplayed Celtic 
you, you've, you've created better chances, they've scored two lucky goals. It was a totally positive team talk and he said, if you play the same way in the second half, you're going to win this game. And we did. We won 3-2. And I, I was fortunate to get the first goal and the third goal that day. My first Old Firm game to score two goals and the winner included was was fantastic for me. But that was, for me, that brought home how good he was in terms mm. of, you know, it, a lot of managers I used to, I played for and since, even since then, they reacted totally to the to the score, not yeah. how you played. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just, if you're losing, you're rubbish. If you're winning, you're doing all right. Do you know what I mean? And, but that was completely different that day. And he, and he put us back out in the park and we went and won the game. How does that feel, Gordon, that moment when you hit the ball and it hits the back of the net and it's the winner against Celtic? That five-second spell when you're running away towards the crowd, how does that feel? It's just, you're just thinking about, you're not thinking about the whole consequences of it, that Celtic will just beat and I'm playing for Rangers. You're just, you're just reacting to scoring a goal. You know what I mean? You do that every time. But it was only afterwards when, you, when the, the final whistle goes and everybody's coming up and going, oh, brilliant and all that, and you're just thinking... I've just scored the winning goal, you know, in a, in a no firm game, you know. So it was great. My first goal was a better one than the the, the third goal. The one I got, the, the the winner, was not one of my better goals. It just the goalkeeper, uh, Peter Latchford, had kind of dropped a header from uh, Bobby Russell, and I just followed it in and scored from about a yard out, sort of thing. But my first goal was a good one. Derek Johnson had a lovely little flick into my path, and I fired that in. So I was I was more chuffed with the with the goal that made it two one. Because that got us back in the game too. Do you know what I mean? So, it, but I think any any goal you score, I scored the winning goal in the cup final that season, uh, a league cup final. Scored the header that day, and that, that was a, a great feeling as well. And uh, I got injured after the game with Jock Wallace's hug. He, 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 <laughs> he grabbed me, he grabbed me around the neck and like cuddled me, hugged my neck. I was like, I was in agony. <laughs> Were you, did you get nervous before? Big game. You, you don't strike me as a guy that would that would get nervous. But no, I, you in the dressing? I didn't, Scott. I, I, I anticipated. You know what happened? I was I this great feeling that this is where I wanted to be. You know what I mean? I wanted to play at that level and play these kind of games. So I was never nervous. I was really built up for it. I, I couldn't wait to go out and play in these big matches. I don't understand how people are nervous before a big game. I really don't because yeah. I think is this not where you want to be? You hear stories about people vomiting before games yeah. and, and, and you know John Brown blowing in a, a brown paper bag <laughs> I know. to calm himself down. Did I you know. see any of that? I think Yeah, I did, I did see people going to the toilet a few times before a match and all that and, I, and as I say, I think that, uh, that there are people like that. I can I can understand people you know maybe feel that way but I, I just think you know, if 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 it's if you're realising your ambition, why should you be nervous? You just, I was just like built up and really excited. I remember before the cup final that year, we played Aberdeen, and 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 we'd just beaten Aberdeen to win the league the week before, and I was sitting in the dressing room, and I always remember just looking round at the dressing room, at all my 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 teammates, and I got such a big feeling from that. I just thought, this is a great bunch of people to be playing with. These guys, we can we're going to win this game today. I just felt that, you know, because looking at the people. In my dressing room, the stars like Tom McLean's and Davy Cooper's and John Gregg, Sandy Jardin, Derek Johnson. You know what I mean? It was it was a great squad. One of the other aspects of Jock Wallace's tenure um, that uh, might give you different memories to what it gives people like me and Scott. Because when I hear the words "gull and sands," I think "go with a dog, lovely walk, beautiful scenery." But it's yeah. slightly different for you, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it was it was mud. I mean, I I didn't actually do it with Jock though because oh, right, I, I, I no, I, I signed. The season already started that first season, but I did it the next season. It was John Gregg took us there again, and uh, but you know the funny thing about Joe with the Gull and Sands thing. Once I'd done it, it was the hardest training session I'd ever done in my life. You know, I mean, I I was uh, I was good I was a good runner on uh, grass flat surfaces. <laughs> running up sand dunes was not the easiest thing in the world. It was the hardest session I'd ever done. We were virtually crawling at the end of it. Because you sink into it. Oh, you? it's so soft. Yeah, that's the thing. And it was what they, they finish off with what's called Murder Hill. And, it's, and you, you, what you did was a race, the two of you raced halfway down, round the cones and back up. So you then had to run up half the hill. Then the final bit was to the bottom and then you had to run up the full. So it was two, that was the two things you had to do. And what happened was that, but the, the number of times Jock Wallace would say in a dressing room before a game, he would say, by the way, see this team you're playing today? They couldn't do gulling. They couldn't do gulling. So you might have to win this game late on, but you're fitter, you're stronger. So it was a psychological yeah, thing yeah. as well. Do you know what I mean? It was it was it was for us to be thinking we're fitter and stronger because we do gulling. And well, it just shows you as much as it as much as it's totally different to now. You know, you hear Stephen Gerrard talking this summer about the pre season in Spain yeah. and about fitness and yes. about running them hard and the players talking about it's the hardest 
No, I know it's a different era and uh-huh, effectively yeah. it's the same it's the same thing. It's to try and give you that edge. Uh, Scott, I agree totally. I, I, I would say to you right now that if, if that's one of the things that I, if I was involved in any football team, I would say to the managers as well, are the players as fit as they can possibly yeah. be? You're only at your best when you get their fittest. Yeah. And I was fortunate going to, from Kilmarnock, although I was a part-time player, I was very dedicated to, to being fit and running and all that. And that's why they get quite a surprise because that, that, that race that, that Johnny mentioned about earlier on against Peter McCloy that David Cooper bet on, that's what got me in the team because Jock Wallace pulled me in after that and, he's, and he said to me, he pulled me upstairs and he goes, you never told me you were as fit as that and I said, well, you didn't ask me and he goes, you're in the team, you're going in the team because he said to me when I signed, I'll wait till your fitness level's up to the same level as the boys because he thought being part-time, yeah. I wouldn't be fit but I, I was... I was dedicated. I mean, I didn't even drink anything like that. I was teetotal till I was 26, you know. So I was uh, I was pretty fit and that helped help my game. And, and every player should be at their, their peak fitness. Yeah. One of the things that, I, again, I thought was interesting was um, the fact that the club and the expectations around the club would have been enormously different from Kilmarnock. And you, you summed that up when you talked about how um, the medals were given out. Uh, at the yeah. end of a season at Rangers, which is yeah. very, very different then to what it is now, and yeah. why that was. Uh-huh. We get, what, what happened was that the next season, um, John Gregg was now the manager, and the league medals, we were all getting our league medals, and he came in to the dressing room, and we're all sitting there in the dressing room already changed, and he said, said your name, you showed him where you were, and he, he threw the medal to you. That was how we got our league medals. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. I've said to the boys, it's just normal, they went, yeah. That's normal. Can you imagine anywhere else to be a celebration, a big sort of party, and and you know like a, a, a function? That was how we got our medals. They just he just threw them to us as we were sitting there, and we're like, and I, I found that very strange. But it showed you, you're absolutely right, Johnny. It was that the the expectation was that's it. It's finished. You've got there's your medal. That's you. See when you see the next one. Yeah, move on to the next one. See when you see someone like Yaya Touri getting upset because the club haven't wished them a happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. Do you look back and think? Slightly different times. <laughs> it's totally different times. I mean, it's it is amazing how in those days, you know, nowadays the players are, are looked after a fair bit better. I mean, we we wouldn't even stop. We we the same training kit every day too. I think I, I think you maybe saw that in the book. We we were uh, wearing the same kit. All we did every day was we hung our kit up, even if it was soaking wet and muddy. We hung it up and we put it back on the next day. There's a change of kit once a week. Now even at Kilmarnock, I was used to a change of kit each training session Rangers didn't so you know you were there were almost there was almost a scenario there where you know you should be actually pleased to be playing yeah. for this club appreciate as opposed to yeah, yeah appreciate wh- wh- where you are as opposed to we we appreciate you being here you know taking you a wee bit further down the line Gordon by the time uh, you leave the club John Gregg's the manager yes and uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that came about because I think once again, it's one of these stories about you that maybe some people have a different perception to the reality of what actually happened. Well, that's right. I mean, what happened was was really weird because um, I was at home, the season was finished, and John Gregg phoned me up and he said, hey, could you do me a favour? I was like, yeah, what? He says, could you go and speak to Alan Mullery, the Brighton manager? Is it he, safe to say, Gordon, that just before you go into this, that maybe yourself and John Gregg didn't have the best of relationships? No, we, testy. I agree, we didn't. We didn't. You know, it was, was definitely, at times, a few arguments between us. Um, he wasn't playing me regularly as as I wanted to play. Playing me, I mean, even one game. I think we won we won six one one night uh, one game, and he, the next match we're playing midweek, and he left me out of the team, and he put Gregor Stevens in midfield in my place, who was a centre half. And I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "He goes, oh, we're, he said, I'm changing the team because I want to have more defensive midfield tonight." I went, "We're playing the team at the bottom of the league. We won six one on Saturday." <laughs> he says, "Well, that's it. You're out of the team. Just accept it, you know." So we weren't we weren't great friends, that's for sure. So he asked me to do, he said, do me a favour. He said, go and speak to Alan Mullery, Brighton manager. I went, okay. Went down to um, Brighton. But Dave Proving came in with, who was one of the coaches, and I didn't quite catch on to that, why he was coming with me. Went to meet Alan Mullery. I sat down, chatted away. He goes, I've been trying to sign you. I said, okay, I didn't know that. Made me an offer. And I said, no, not coming. And he right, okay, chat a bit more. Up the offer. I'm like, no, no. And he up the offer. So we started off, I was in, I'd just signed for a, a five-year contract for Rangers. I was a month into a five-year contract and I'd just signed for £200 a week. My first offer from Brighton was £400 a week and 30000 to sign on. And I kept saying, no, no, and we we're at £600 a week and 50000 and I'm still saying no. 
because I wasn't going, right? And he said, go and have some lunch. Uh, we've ordered, organized some lunch for you and then we'll speak after lunch. So when I went for lunch with David Proven, he said to me, I said, is that some offer? I went, I know, that's unbelievable, that kind of money. And he goes, do you know, you know, thinking of taking it, Gordon? I went, you know I'm not taking it, I'm, st- I'm staying at Rangers. He goes, all right, I might as well tell you, the deal's done. I said, what do you mean? He says, the, the, we've accepted the bid. I said, that's not what I was told. He said, well, that's it. We've, we've accepted it. Found out later on it was a record fee Rangers got for me. It was 440,000, right? But I didn't think any of it. So I went and phoned Ibrox. John Gregg, I got him on the phone. There was no mobiles in those days. First thing he, first thing he said to me was, have you signed? And I said, <laughs> no, I'm not signing. Yes, you are. And I said, I'm not. And he goes, yeah. He says, if you don't sign, I'll make your life hell. You'll never play again the first team. You'll, I'll have you in morning, noon, night training, all that type of thing. Because like, he'd already spent the money, hadn't he? Yeah, he'd, 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 I think he had. He's Colin McAdam and, and Jim Bett were coming in, I think. So I had to go back to Alan Mullery then and say, I've had a thought, I think about it, and uh, I'll sign. So <laughs> I signed, and when I got home that day, my wife went, oh, how's your day? And I was like, <laughs> you better sit down. We're going to Brighton. Couldn't believe it. I mean, she couldn't believe it, but I, I had to tell her why. But do you know what? I don't hold a grudge against John Gregg because, to be fair, I loved my time down there. Four years I was there, and I, I was down there. Like, I got invited down last week for a game. I, I get invited down. I, I do a bit in the program now as well, just a, a wee piece for the home every month for the home games. They treat me so well down there. So I, I, I've told John Greg a few times since. I, I still speak to Greg. You know, not a problem at all. And say, like you know, I know I, I wasn't happy how you did it, but I'm glad you did it. And do you also appreciate now as much as you didn't agree with it at the time? You've been a coach, director of football. We spoke about. No, you probably understand now. Managers just sometimes don't fancy a, yeah. a player, and they, they need to make those kind of decisions. Correct. That's it. I mean, that that was it. I mean, it was he was bringing in people. He wasn't minding that I was going, um, but at the end of the day, it was how it was how it was done. Yeah, of course. Was the problem for me, Scott, as opposed to the fact that it was done. You know yeah. what I mean? But I went because Rangers were were on the slide a bit. To be fair, they were on yeah. in that period on the slide. But you know, the funny thing, I'll tell you a good story. That was like uh, Alan Mullery uh, said to me. When I went down and started, he goes, I said, I didn't know you were in. He goes, I, I saw you playing. He said, um, you scored three goals in the matches I saw. Two of them were against West Ham in a pre-season match. And he goes, uh, David Cooper made the three goals for you. And I went, yeah. And he goes, I tried to sign both of you. I went, what? And he says, Rangers told me I could only have one of you. I said, you get the wrong one. That's what I said to him. <laughs> <laughs> he just laughed. <laughs> he just tried to sign us both. So, because I'd scored three goals in the, in the game and Coop had made the three of them. So I said to him, I blame Coop later on. I, I said, you were to blame for me getting transferred. I don't think would have fancied moving on the way to Brighton, though, would he? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> just before we let you go, Gordon, we just wanted to touch on uh, your time at the SFA. Uh-huh. And obviously, um, since you've, you've left the SFA, there's a lot of change happened, with, yeah. especially with Rangers. How do you reflect now on the gap that there seems to be developing between the SFA and the fans of Rangers and other clubs, it's fair to say, and yeah. how can the SFA begin to sort that out, in your opinion, having worked there at the, at the very highest level in the organisation? I think I think what they need to, to show us at all times is, is how things, decisions are come, come to fruition, really. Basically, you know, it has to be, there has to be a certain amount of, of detail in terms of the People knowing where uh, you know who's who's making these decisions, how they're making them. I mean, the whole thing recently regarding the the disciplinary aspect, you know, the, the retrospective punishments has been a big factor. People are not happy with it. You know, they're seeing some instances and saying that's ridiculous, and others they're saying, oh, that should have been changed, all that. And, and you know, there's not enough, uh, I would say, information coming through. So that I think. You know the, the SFA are looking after all the all the people, all the clubs that you mentioned, Rangers, Celtic, everybody. They're all members, and that is their organisation. So they should be some sort of, I would say, um, close scrutiny in terms of how everything's working out. Often people look at the chief executive of the SFA and say, Gordon Smith or Stuart Reagan, why aren't you showing leadership? Yes. How easy is it to actually do that in reality? Well, you, have, you are the front person to a lot of things, but what I found was I, I, I got approached about the job. I didn't uh, apply for it when, it when it was there before, when it was available, and I, I didn't do my due diligence on it to actually understand what my role would be. And what, what I found out when I was in there was as chief executive, you can't make any decisions. You, ha- you can make recommendations, but n- decisions come from a committee or the board or whatever, and you have to be the person that fronts that when it happens. So it was not easy 
to do things like that because what happens is, you know, sometimes a decision that's been made is something you've voted against. You're totally, you know, against it, but you have to be the person, the front person that says, here's what we've decided to do. And then you get the blame for that. Do you know what I mean? So that was a bit frustrating at times. There was a few things I did that I never took any publicity for at all. I got I got the biggest uh, deal, TV deal that the SFA has ever had in their history. I negotiated, ne- negotiated that. I got the players to agree not to take any fees for playing for Scotland. And they were the players were great about it. And what I said was, don't take any fees for playing for your country because this money uh, that we keep goes gets put out to the members anyway. It's, it's money for the game. I said, but if we qualify for a major tournament, we, get, we make more money and I'll give you a, a bonus from that. We'll give the players a bonus if you qualify. That saved us an absolute arm and a leg over, <laughs> the, years. <laughs> Bob, over the years. But nevertheless, I, I, I appreciate it. And the funny thing was, people on the board, I told the board I was going to do that and there was people on the board saying, they'll never agree to that. And when I got it happened, I went back and said, the, the players have agreed. All you got was people saying, oh, okay, that's fine. Nobody's saying, oh, well done, Gordon. Nobody, you know what I mean? So you never get any credit even when you did something that worked out. So things like that were frustrating for me. And to a degree, the Rangers thing was more frustrating because I, I I couldn't get doing what I wanted. But the SFA thing, there was good aspects to it and sides of it that I wasn't happy with. So that's why I left and ended up. This week's obviously all been about Hamden. I mean, when you were in there, what did you think of the stadium? Did, was it ever mooted during your time about trying to redevelop it, trying to make it better? Atmosphere-wise, what, what was your kind of thought? It was never that? ever talked about because at that time, uh, you know, it was only about halfway into the lease, really, yeah, with yeah. Um, with Queens Park. I was quite surprised to know that Queens Park had hundred percent ownership yeah. when I went in there. I must be honest with you. I thought when the whole thing got re- redone the last time, that Queens Park wouldn't have been the owners anymore. They might still have a share in it, yeah. but the, the, it might have gone out to football in general. But they were a hundred percent owner. SFA were paying rental. All the other. Uh, uh, organisations play all the, the the people the football uh, organisations like the women's football juniors they're all in there yeah. at, at Hamden I think I'm glad it stayed at Hamden because I do feel that it would have been a big disruption to move from there because it is the home and legacy the Scottish football has been there for years and that's why I think it's great that, that Hamden's remaining there but there's there's changes need done mm. the, 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 see the sitting, seating area behind the goals yeah. it's not good enough Yeah, you know it needs to be changed Okay, well, with that, we're going to let you go. I think we could talk on for about another two hours, Gordon, if we're, if we're being honest. But um, thanks for coming on. Pleasure, Johnny, and thanks, Scott. There's a lot more we can talk about football. It's one of these things you could talk all day about yeah. it, and you know, there's a lot of things we could have covered. But thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. No problem. That's all from us. We'll be back next midweek with more news and analysis of all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can. You can get us at record underscore sport. You can get me at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can get Scott at Scott McDermott. 8. And I don't know if Gordon's on social media yet. Maybe we'll get you set up with a Twitter account. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks, okay. Um, don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or ACAST to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. Your body, use your mind, use your mind, let your mind